0: Hello, and welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. We appreciate you joining us through this podcast. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for joining us, and enjoy the message. You know, if, if you guys really want to see a comedy act, come to first service. <laughs> when the Mountain Dew is just kicking in, I think. everyone my name is Clint Schwartz I'm the lead pastor here really glad to have everyone here today hey first of all I just want to say thank you for your generosity I looked out at the uh, the boxes where we're collecting groceries for the church community services food pantry and they're full again we emptied them this past week and uh, gave over 200 pounds of groceries and it looks like you guys are doing that again so thank you guys so much for your generosity it matters it really does matter And then also, I wanted to give a report. We set aside 10% of all of our tithes and offerings for outreach and missions. And uh, throughout the year, we're giving it away uh, locally and then also throughout the world. Um, Over this past week, about a week ago, we were able to uh, find six families in our community that didn't really qualify for the food pantries around here. And so with the help of Anna and Juan Garcia, we were able to get some grocery lists and we bought... Um, these six families' groceries. So here's a picture of Melanie Berkey and myself. She was having a lot more fun than I was. I don't know about you, but shopping is not a lot. It's not my spiritual gift. Um... (laughs) especially buying groceries for six families. But we had a, a, a great time delivering them later that night. And uh, here's a picture of Anna and Juan Garcia praying over those families. It was uh, a beautiful thing to be, able, to be a blessing to them. And that's because of your generosity. So uh, you guys get to participate in that. So thank you so much for uh, continuing to um, give to God by supporting the church here. So currently, we're in a summer series called Good Advice, Godly Wisdom from the Book of Proverbs, and it's a message series through the Book of Proverbs we have just this week and next week, and then we're done. We'll be jumping into the next series, which I'll tell you about next week. I'm really excited about the next series, but I have to wait. We're going to stay on this one today. Um, But last week, Lyndon Bontrager, who's sitting up here in the front row, gave a message titled Reckless Words, Stopping the Fire Before Someone Gets Burned. And uh, his two points were, we can prevent a fire by biting our tongues and speaking life. And I will tell you, it was a great message. And if you missed it, you need to make sure you jump on our website and listen to that or download our podcast. But um, it was a great, great message from last week. So today we're going to continue our series Uh, in Proverbs. We will be reading a scripture from Proverbs chapter 21, if you want to put your finger in the Bible and find that. Um, But to introduce the message, watch this video. Look at the graphics on that. All wrapping basketball. Number one, Curtis Flo. Basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way the dribble up and down the court. Just like I'm looking on the microphone, so it's Dr. J, and Moses Malone. I like slam dunks and takes me to the hoop. My favorite play is the alley ooh, I like the pick and roll. I like the give and go. Cause it's basketball of Mr. Coach's. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, do you see those graphics, man? Curtis Blow. Anyone ever heard of that song? OK, there's actually about five more than last service. So that's, that's impressive. Um, I'll tell you, that, that song actually brings back warm fuzzies for me, because when I was in high school and I was playing basketball at Centerville High School on the varsity team, we started every uh, game you know, with the warm-ups to that song. We would come running out to that basketball song. Now, I will tell you, if I had seen the video, it might have ruined the song for me. I I didn't see that until this week. Um, But anyway, it it got us all pumped up uh, to play basketball. And in all honesty, I think it kind of helped us. Uh, My sophomore, junior, and senior year, our varsity team was undefeated at home. We didn't lose a game after we listened to that song. So uh, moving into our senior year, though, we would be... You know, in the warm-ups, getting ready to come out, the song would start playing. And I'll tell you what we did have. After having won every home game for the last two seasons, we had a lot of confidence going out onto the court. And confidence is a big deal when it comes to sports. Anyone ever heard of home court advantage or home field advantage? It's actually a real deal. Um, they did a survey in the NBA over a 10-year period, and they found out that the home team won over 60% of the time. And in the NBA finals, the home team won over that 10-year period almost 65% of the time. So confidence was a big deal. As you walked into the, uh, a home game, you, know, you had this huge confidence that you're going to win. In fact, if you think about it another way, the away team only won 35% of the time during the NBA Finals. So a lack of confidence can certainly undercut a team as well. So confidence, we're going to talk about that today. Confidence is a big deal. Um, In the, the Christian walk, many times we talk about confidence and we associate it with the sin of pride. And pride is not a good thing. If you've been a follower of Christ or you've read through your Bible, you've read scriptures like this that said in 1 Peter 5, verse 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So many times, as followers of Christ, we feel like, well, we can't have confidence because that's associated with pride. I would say that those two things are different. Let me explain. Here's the definition of confidence. The first one is this. A feeling of self-assurance arising from one's appreciation of one's abilities or qualities. And I would say that definition of confidence kind of leans a little bit more towards the sin of pride. But here is a second definition of confidence. It says, the feeling or belief... That one can rely on someone or something having a firm trust. As followers of Christ, I would say we can have that kind of confidence. Philippians 4.13 says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. For I can do everything. That's, That's a certain amount of confidence, right? But it's through Christ who gives me strength. It's not through my own strength. Psalms 59, 9 and 10 says, you are my strength. I watch for you. You, God, are my fortress. My God on whom I can rely. So again, it's having a confidence in God. And then Psalm 118, verse 6 says, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And I love that. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So we can have confidence as followers of Christ. But I will tell you this. Today, in our culture, I mean, it's just full of criticism, right? I mean, our culture is just so full of criticism. You say something stupid, or you fall down, and it becomes the next meme on social media. I mean, you're just popular, but not the way you want to be popular, Right? And there's a a cool phrase called throwing shade. You throw shade at someone. And what that means is to publicly criticize or express contempt for someone. And I think it's really hard. It's hard to have confidence. Last week, Lyndon shared how he struggles with having confidence as an adult because of words that were said to him as a child. And so in our in our society today, in our culture today, especially with millennials and Generation Z, there is a overwhelming lack of confidence. It's just not something that, that people are, are walking around with anymore. But as followers of Christ, as Christians, I would say we need to walk in confidence. Again, not confidence in ourselves, but confidence in our God. Well, our scripture today in chapter 21, I think it helps us. It helps us to build confidence. It helps us to be confident. And so we're going to learn from that today. So it's going to be the last two verses of chapter 21. It says, there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan, this is verse 30, that can succeed against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory Rest with the Lord. Now, if you guys would read that with me, we'll just all read this together. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. And there's a lot of truth in that. So, we're going to learn from that today. Let me pray, and then I'll give you a couple of points that you can fill in on your handout if you'd like. So, Father, we come to you right now, and we thank you for your word that is true. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit that speaks to us personally. So, we invite your Holy Spirit today to come and speak to our hearts and minds. And really, God, I just pray that you would strengthen our confidence in you as we listen to this message today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so you can fill this in on your handout. We can live confident when we trust in God's strength. We can live confident when we trust in God's strength. Verse 30: There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. There is no wisdom. Think about that: no insight. No plan that can succeed against the Lord. Our God is all-powerful. I know we watch a lot of movies nowadays that show these gods fighting, and there's this battle going on, and you know sometimes this God wins, and sometimes that God wins, and demigods, and all those kinds of things. But the reality is, is that there is one God, the creator of everything, and he is all-powerful powerful. All-powerful. Do you know God's winning record? He's undefeated, all right? Do you know what God's winning record is going to be 100 years from now? He's going to remain undefeated. How about 1,000? He's going to be undefeated. Our God is never going to lose. He never has lost. He's not losing now, and He's never going to lose in the future. Our God is all-powerful, um, there's a uh, prophecy in the book of Revelation that talks about the end of the age. And it talks about this battle of Armageddon when all the, the armies of the earth gather together and they, they, they stage a war against God like they could win, right? I mean, but they do. They still fight against God Almighty and Jesus Christ. And so this is prophesied in the book of Revelation And I want to read this to you because it just gives you an indication of how unfair this battle is, you know, and that that people have no chance against the living God. So this is in Revelation chapter 19, starting with verse 11. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. We're talking about Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes back, You know, he's coming back as a warring lion. I mean, he's ready for battle. He came as a lamb the first time to give his life for our sins, but he's coming back ready for battle. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The people gathered to fight him. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. No wisdom. No insight, no plan can succeed against the Lord. Our God is incredibly powerful. One of the ways, just to think about this, is how we can walk in confidence knowing that, is I have some new friends, uh, Jimmy and Jessica House. Here's a picture of them. This comes from their Facebook. And they're in our home group, and so we're getting to know them a little bit better But what I want you to notice is the size of Jimmy's arms. All right, do you see those things? Jimmy's a big guy. I mean, he's a strong guy. And I'll tell you what, I'm really looking forward to having him in our home group. And over this next year, we're going to probably have a guys' night, and all of us guys are going to go out. And I'll tell you what, when I'm walking through the parking lot with Jimmy, I'm just going to feel a little bit more confident. Maybe a little cocky. I probably shouldn't do that, but, but at least more confident because I know that nobody's going to pick on me. You know, nobody's going to mess with me because I got Jimmy by my side. He's going to watch over me. He's going to take care of me. Now, Jimmy may not know that, but that's what I'm expecting of him during that time. Well, it's in that way, guys. As followers of Christ, as as Christians, as children of God, we have the most powerful being in the universe— on our side we should be walking with a little bit of confidence here's a couple of scriptures isaiah 54:17 says no weapon forged against you will prevail no weapon you will refute every tongue that accuses you this is the heritage of the servants of the lord this is our inheritance and this is their vindication from me declares the lord Romans 8.37 says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. I don't even know what that means, but it really sounds good. I mean, we can do even more than conquer through him who loved us. And then Romans 8.31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is on our side, I mean... Who can fight against us? That's our inheritance. That's our heritage from God. When God is on our side, we win. So here's a question for us to consider today Am I on God's side? I think it's a valid question because not everyone is on God's side, right? So that's a question. Am I on God's side? Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. That's how you know that you're on God's team, you're on his side. It's when you confess with your mouth. That Jesus is Lord, and not just Lord of the universe, because it's easy to say that sometimes, and, but it's, it's harder to say, yeah, no, he's actually Lord of me. Jesus is making the decisions for what I do with my life. That's what it means to have Jesus as our Lord. So it takes, it takes a decision to let God be in control, and then it takes a life of following him. That's what it means to be on God's side. And then you know, another question we might ask is, am I playing by the rules? Am I, am I doing what God's asked me to do? Because I may, I may join the team through my confession, but then the question is, am I, am I really considered a child of God? Here's a scripture that says this, 1 John 3, 10 through 11 says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are, which is pretty definitive. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. So, if we are God's children, that means, first of all, that we need to do what is right. Now, that doesn't mean that we're perfect. None of us are perfect. But we should have a heart towards doing what is right. And then he goes on a little bit further to define what it means to do what is right it means to love one another. It means to love that next-door neighbor who's grouchy towards you, who puts their trash can on your side of the property line. You know who I'm talking about, right? It means loving that person who cut you off in traffic. It means loving that boss who isn't treating you the way that they should be treating you or that coworker or maybe that fellow student. I mean, that's how you know if you're a child of God, is that you are loving one another, that you are showing love. Our purpose statement here at the church is to love God, love people, and shine Jesus. It's pretty simple, because it's really, being a follower of God is pretty simple. We need to love God, serve Him. We need to love each other, and then we need to tell people about Jesus. And so that's what we're striving to do each and every day. So, being on God's side, it starts with that confession. It starts with having a personal relationship with God. And if you don't have that personal relationship with God, come see me after service. And we'll talk about that. Because you can walk away today knowing that you are a child of God, knowing that you are on God's team. And then, secondly, He asks us, okay, if you're on my team, I have an assignment for you. And that's to love people. That's your fill-in. My role on God's championship team is to show love. That's our assignment. As followers of Christ, first and foremost, love God and then love people. So that's point number one. We can live confident when we trust in God's strength. He's our big, strong friend who's got her back. And then number two, we can live confident when we do our part. When we do our part. Let me explain this. Proverbs 21, 30 through 31 says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. And and I will tell you, so many times I've read that verse, and what always comes to mind for me is, well, the victory rests with the Lord. So it doesn't matter if the horse is made ready for battle. It doesn't matter, because the victory rests with Lord. That's how I've always thought. But this past week, God impressed on me. He said, no, no, no. The horse is made ready for battle. Somebody actually made the horse ready for battle. Somebody did the work and effort of that. And so I thought, well, what does that mean? Does that mean you put on a special saddle or you know special bridle? What does that mean? So I did a little research and looked it up in Wikipedia, Uh, horses in warfare. Let me read this to you because this is what it takes to get a horse ready for battle. Whether horses were trained to pull chariots, to be ridden as light or heavy cavalry, or to carry the armored knight, much training was required to overcome the horse's natural instinct to flee from noise, the smell of blood, and the confusion of combat. They also learned to accept any sudden or unusual movements of humans while using a weapon or avoiding one. Horses used in close combat may have been taught or at least permitted to kick, strike, and even bite, thus becoming weapons themselves for the warriors they carried. So getting ready for battle wasn't an hour-long process. It wasn't even a day or a week. It It was months or years of training to make these horses ready for battle. So somebody put all of that energy and effort before the battle, to make the horses ready. Somebody put in that time to do that. Now, in the end, the victory is determined by God, right? God determines the victory, but there is a part for each one of us to play. There's something he's asking us to do while he's fighting our battles. Now, I have an example from the Old Testament. Uh, It's King Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat, it's from 2 Chronicles. He was the king of Judah. And there was a time when these armies come against King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah, and he's completely outnumbered. Now, in the end, God delivers them. But what I want to do is I want to read these sections of Scripture. And I'm going to point out, and I want you to focus on all of the steps that King Jehoshaphat and the people walk through. There's all the steps that they take while God fights their battle for them. So let's read this. Uh, this is in Second Chronicles chapter 20. It says this, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. That's his first step. His first step isn't to send out spies or to mobilize an army. King Jehoshaphat's first step is, I I need to seek God. Then he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. So while he is seeking God, he's he's proclaimed the entire country of Judah. You guys need to fast and pray. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. So they, they stopped working. They left their homes. They all came together to pray and seek God together. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then in verse 13, all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. I just thought that was interesting. It wasn't just the warriors that had to do something. It was the husbands, the wives, the children, and even the babies. They all came together and stood there before God. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, as he stood in the assembly. This is a prophet. And he's standing there too. He's with the people, just standing there waiting on God. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. So there's a commandment don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged, for the battle is not yours but God. So they had an assignment to not be afraid. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I look like I'm outnumbered or there's no way I can win, man, that brings up fear where I get discouraged. And they're being told, no, no, don't. Stop it. Stop it. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. So that was something they needed to do. Tomorrow, march down against them. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Wow, that's a a leap of faith. I mean, they're completely outnumbered. And they're being told, march down, your little army against that great big army. Take up your positions and stand firm. That's a command. Then he tells them again, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out. To face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with, the Lord will be with you. Verse twenty says, "Early in the morning they left, so they didn't even wait around. I mean, they they got up early, probably before the sun came up, so they gave up some sleep too. They got up early in the morning. They left for the desert of Ticoah." As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith. Again, he's telling them, have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. Again, having faith. When things don't look like it's going to go your way, that's something God's asking them to do. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him. I thought that was interesting. He, they're marching out into battle. It's completely outnumbered. And he says, let's sing some songs. And they're not like, woe is me songs. Oh, I'll never see my family again. You know, anything like that. For the splendor of his holiness, as they went out at the head of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. They were songs of thankfulness and protection and of the love of God for them before anything has happened. Just think about that. They're singing praise. That's something that God has asked them to do. Verse 22. As they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sur who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The Lord set ambushes against them. I don't even know what that means, but it's not a good thing. Their men were defeated immediately. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Sur to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Sur, they helped to destroy one another. So they they just all started fighting against each other. God created that, made that all happen. And when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked Toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. Can you imagine that? I don't know about you, but I'd be like, oh, Lord, (laughs) his love endures forever. This is it. We're going to die. You know, I mean, as I'm walking up that hill and you know you're going to get over the edge, you know, and you're going to look down and, and you get up over the edge and you look down and everybody's dead. Actually, the scripture goes on. I think it says that they took, it took them three days to go and collect all the plunder. That was how many people there were. It's amazing. God delivered Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah, but they had to do their part. There were several steps along the way. And you wonder, I wonder anyway, what if they hadn't done those things? What if Jehoshaphat hadn't, Gone to God right away? What if he hadn't called the people to fast and pray? What if they hadn't gathered together? What if they hadn't worked really hard on having faith? What if they hadn't walked out, hadn't actually marched out their faith, taken those steps of action? What if they hadn't sang praises to God before they ever saw God move? It's easy to sing Songs of praise afterwards, isn't it? It's harder to sing songs beforehand. So here's the deal. I don't know what kind of battle you're facing today. But I know in my life, I mean, we're just humans, right? So there seems to be a conflict, a battle, a difficult situation all the time that we're just facing. I want you to know that God is for you. And he is almighty. He's our big, strong, powerful friend. But I'm guessing no matter what situation you're in, God's asking you to do something. He's asking you to do something. Sometimes it's to mobilize our forces and to just march into battle. Sometimes that's, that's the case. We're, it's time to fight. We're supposed to take action. Sometimes God's asking us to sing praises of thankfulness for something that He hasn't done yet, but something that's coming. Sometimes He asks us to be the one on the side saying, Have faith, our God will deliver us. Trust me, we need those people. We need those people who who speak faith and speak encouragement. Sometimes God calls us to a a season of prayer and fasting. Sometimes that's a day. Sometimes that's a week. Sometimes God is asking us to have a lifestyle of that. Just you need to pray. You need to fast. If you want to see that mountain move, you're going to have to be serious about it. Sometimes he's, he's asking us, just have faith. Don't be discouraged. And that may be the hardest thing that, you ever have to do because you're maybe more of a negative person. It's like, how can I do that? But he's saying, trust me, trust me. And then there are those times, those times when God says, just stand there and wait. Just stand there and wait. Wait for your deliverance. Now, I don't know about you, but that's probably the hardest thing for me to do. God tells me to go do something. I'll go do it. You know, go fight, go pray, go fast, whatever. Go do something. But when he tells me, hey, I just want you to just sit and wait. That's so hard for me. But as I'm getting older and been doing this thing of following Christ for many years now, I'm seeing a lot of times that's what he wants. He wants us to sit, to wait. To have faith, to have courage, and to speak of that deliverance that is to come that we haven't seen yet, and just trust him, and just trust him. So you can write this down. Even while God is fighting my battles, he has an assignment for me. We can trust that he is, he is fighting our battles. He is fighting against the enemy for us. But he's asking us to do something. He's asking us to do something. So it's important. We can have confidence. We can walk in confidence when we do our part. So I'm going to invite Krista to come back up here. We're going to finish uh, by singing a song about our powerful God. If you guys would stand with me, I'll pray. So God, we come to you, and we thank you. (sighs) Mm. We thank you for loving us, God, for welcoming us into your family, for calling us your children, God. And God, we thank you for fighting our battles, And even then, while you're fighting our battles, God, you invite us to be part of it. You invite us to be part of it. So we worship you. We worship you now, God. Thank you for enjoying the message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for being part of our family, and we'll see you next time.